Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. I am Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast, uh, where we have uncut, honest conversations about faith, life, and ministry. Um, Today, we're sitting down on uh, a gloomy afternoon. Um, Cameron has got his uh, reliable ghost energy drink. (laughs) This is one of the better ones that I've had, actually. Yeah? What kind are we drinking? Sour Patch Blue Raspberry. Wow. That just sounds like... Does it just taste like candy? A little bit. (laughs) A little bit. But these have zero sugar. Mm. Okay. So, So... Just, just. I'm sure it's all natural, as you can see by the colors on the container. Yeah, that's all natural. That is. looks supernatural. <laughs> yeah, sour patch, sour patch, energy drink is definitely all natural. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the the sweetness. I'm sure, since it wasn't obtained of sugar, was not obtained anywhere else. These um, <laughs> are one of my like guilty pleasures. There's yeah. only 200 milligrams of caffeine, which is about. A cup of coffee. Yeah, except Cameron, it's the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I got a lot to do today. So <laughs> I don't intend to go home anytime soon. So it's three o'clock. I'll be here for a while. Oh, boy. Well, to tell you the difference between Cameron and I, I'm drinking a lime bubbly sparking, sparkling water. Well, I usually so. drink those. And you I, do. I had, a, I had a flavored water for Wegmans that I've been nursing since lunchtime and just finished it before I came down here. So... Um, I don't, well, yeah, I have about one, I have one energy drink a day. <laughs> I have one energy drink a day. Well, that's, I mean, what, what, whatever. Just let me live my life. Yeah, man. Just I'll let, let you live, live your life. life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those annoying, I'm one of those annoying people who doesn't drink coffee because it thinks, because I think it makes me more, um, Better. <laughs> You're so sophisticated. So sophisticated because I, I only drink tea. Yeah. <laughs> when I was um, – so a couple of years ago, I went to a place called Onsite and it is a um, – it's a – how do I describe it? Onsite is a place where they call it human school. <laughs> they do. Like the executive director calls it human school where oh, you just go that. to learn how to be a better human, mm-hmm. which really um, is like becoming more emotionally aware and maybe like dealing with some trauma in your life. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a um, it's a mental health and wellness like retreat center. Yeah. I went for uh, a full week and they had they have people come in from all over the world. It's mm-hmm. very I was very blessed to be able to go. Very well-renowned place, and there were a couple of guys there from the UK, specifically from England, and I was like, all right, guys, here's what I need you to do for me. Before this week is out, Uh I need you to teach me how to make a proper cup Cup of of English tea. tea. Yeah. Yeah. Like how... How it's like, you know, you go to America, like, well, how do you drink your coffee in America? Well, you, I mean, you're going to have a, a, you drink a black, just drink, drink a black, right? Yeah. So like if you were going to go to, go to England, if I was going to sit down at a little cafe in London and I asked for a cup of tea, how would they make it for me? Or how would they assume that I would have it made? Mm-hmm. And so one afternoon they taught me how to make a 
proper cup of tea. And for the first few months that I was back from onsite, I was drinking a proper cup of tea. Wow. Every day. So you like, did you like put milk in it? Yep. And all that? Yeah. Yeah. Which I never thought would be like a thing. Yeah. Or would be good. Mm-hmm. But it really was. Okay. Well, I'll have to try that sometime because I've seen yes. like videos and I'm like, milk. Because I usually just drink my tea. I just brew it the specified time and yeah. stuff. And then uh-huh. I don't really add much to it. Maybe yeah. if I'm feeling wild, I'll put honey in it. Yeah. But. And it was Earl Grey. Earl Grey. Mm-hmm. You know, black Earl Grey breakfast tea mm-hmm. with uh, milk and not steeped as long as I would usually like steep it. Yeah. They don't steep it for a long time. Yeah. People oversteep tea. Yeah. Um, look at us. Just a bunch of regular dudes talking about our tea habits. I know. Look at right. us. <laughs> <laughs> We're so I elevated. hope none of you are looking at us because <laughs> this is uh... – <laughs> Well, anyway, since we last met, um, we um, – our um, exhortation to subscribe to the channel has been heard. Um, <laughs> we are now sitting at a solid – 44. 44. So um, we've gained six subscribers in the last week. We did. So thank you to mm. all of you who subscribed. I know a couple of you who were like, you know, asking me like, hey, what, you have a YouTube channel or where's the channel? You know, so right. um, appreciate mm-hmm. you subscribing on YouTube. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. That's right. I forget that people subscribe other places too. It's not just yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, it's not just YouTube. It's on like, which is way harder to see if you're like interested in the behind the podcasting stuff. It's like... It's a little bit harder to track actual subscribers across, like, the audio right. uh, platform. Um, I'm sure there's ways to do it, but maybe we're just not paying enough for whatever service to do it right, you know. But mm. it's a little bit harder to track. So. But we can see the downloads. Mm-hmm. We can't necessarily see the subscribers. But anyway, so thank you for subscribing. And as always, mm-hmm. you know, you guys can be sending in uh your comments and questions and things you'd be interested to hear us talking about and um yeah let us know what kind of resonates with you guys i'm curious yeah. as to like what what is it we're still figuring out the podcast itself is like what exactly is it going to be and i mean it is something and we're continuing down that track but we're constantly kind of evaluating of like what direction are we are we trying mm-hmm. to go in a direction or are we just kind of letting it be? And so right. I'm interested to hear what people resonate with and um, what's what's good for your soul. Mm-hmm. Um, before we turn on the microphone, Cameron gave me permission to bring up any topic and he would, we would just go with it, um, which is a that's the amount of trust he has in me, apparently. Um, <laughs> well, I did it to you a couple of weeks ago when I asked you your definition of success. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Because, um, see, sometimes I think that, like, so we do have a running list of things that we, like, okay, we could probably talk about that or we could talk about that. Mm-hmm. What happens with me is I overthink it and I get in my head and I think about what I'm going to say and I don't say what I actually would say or yeah. want to say. So I think this is a better method sometimes. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a topic that, We've like parentally like suggested and we've just never gotten around to it because it probably feels really big. So let's just do it, talk about it, go uncut, and let's just talk about politics. Politics. Because election year is coming. Yep. Um, you know it's pandemic year. I mean election year. <laughs> <laughs> oh did man. I say that in the mic? You did say that in the microphone. Okay. Um yeah, so that means a whole bunch of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. We've got like 
all that stuff starting to kick into gear. Politicians, you know, every the presidential elections are are coming, and so um, and the last I don't know elections are always kind of at least since I've been conscious <laughs> and able to vote, elections have tended to be just kind of very angsty and stressful seasons. Um, yeah, I don't. So I remember back my, the earliest memory that I have of an election was the presidential election where Clinton won his first term junior or president Clinton. Oh, Clinton, not Bush. Yeah. Yeah, Bush. And he beat senior. Okay. He beat George I don't, Bush. Senior. I don't remember that one. I think I remember a different, I remember some of Clinton's presidency, but I don't remember what I remember of it. Yeah. So, so I remember, I remember when he won first term. I remember back then, and I so memory serves me. I would have been like twelve or thirteen years old. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even that. Like maybe no, maybe like ten, somewhere around there. Ten, mm-hmm. eleven, twelve, um, early nineties, and. I don't remember it being super contentious. Yeah. Or at least not the type of contentiousness that it is now. And then even as I look back into like George W hit their his campaigns. Yep. I don't remember it being I mean I remember it being like yeah. you know they're all trying to win obviously. Right. But I don't remember it being i don't remember the rhetoric being as like the whole milieu around it all being as right. toxic yeah as it is now and even somewhat into like obama's first term mm-hmm. even his second term yeah it it just felt um, different well it feels like- different I remember like I, I remember Obama's elections and those felt contentious if you were listening to talk radio. Yeah. At least in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like I remember like, well, if you turned on the radio and you listened to certain channels and depending on which side you were, it felt really contentious. Right. Um and I don't know, maybe it's just, you know, our youth just kind of looking backwards and yeah, we, we, not obviously we're it. just less less like involved or whatever and older and less, I don't know, Mm -hmm. vested or whatever. Um, But then there's also like, you think about like, you know, the, the shift in media since then, like I, I cannot remember who wrote the book or who did the talk or where I've heard this. I can't remember if it was maybe another podcast or whatever, but I remember listening to somebody talk about the impact that the camera has had on politics. Right. Yep. Because like they used to be that, you know, you you didn't have live cameras recording every single political mm-hmm. congressional senate hearing and when that started happening and then people said and then people started not just doing politics in order to kind of like negotiate or uh, win votes or go back and forth for the people in the room, but started speaking for the camera, which isn't a politician. It's just the newsrooms like, and how that has shifted Mm -hmm. politics and that like, um, 
I remember seeing somebody who's a politician. I don't remember not involved from the state or whatever, but he kind of, he was like, look, there's people in the government who play big and bad, like politician and have this big, like public persona they put on. But the moment the camera's not recording, they are an entirely different person. Mm -hmm. And they just put, they have one way because they want to act that way because it gets them constituents versus like when they're actually doing their job and being, and being a real politician, they act and behave totally different. So I don't know. There's you not know, shocked. Yeah, I'm not shocked either. But um, if if you're so interested, that would probably I think that'd be a really interesting place to explore is the impact that media's had. We've shifted from like the well, you know, the nightly news yeah. on CBC or CBS to like you know, 24 hour news cycles and internet and how that's changed yeah. the way we talk about things. Well, I don't. Uh, I'm. I don't recall. I want to say it was it was a debate with Nixon, mm-hmm. where, and maybe it was with Kennedy. Yeah, I, I don't remember, but I know what you're talking about. The radio versus TV perception. Those who watched it on radio or listened to it on radio thought that one person won. Yeah, that Nixon won. Yeah, those that um, watched it who could, who could see the faces and see the people thought that Kennedy won or whomever the the two characters were. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, I think that like the, you're absolutely right that the, the impact that media has had on the political atmosphere has really changed the way that even normal American people interact with the political cycles. And I would say in particular or specifically social media YouTube, things like that, where now um, everyone has a voice. Yeah. And and there's this weird, I feel like there's this weird phenomena where it's like all voices that you find online carry equal authority, even if they don't carry equal authority. Yes. You know, so like your crazy Christian aunt who posts something about conspiracy theory about, you know, such and such political figure, Mm -hmm. right, is because it's on the internet now, holds, people, people grab onto it with the same level of authority that someone who is maybe like, got a doctorate in theology or has mm-hmm. studied political science yeah. or has um who, or who or who teaches the um history of politics and political movements at yeah. Harvard you know yeah. so like yeah it feels like where people put their authority mm-hmm. or their trust or their belief has become quite twisted Or strange. Yeah. You know, like, as you were saying that, I was, like, thinking, and I was, like, you know, I was, like, I was wondering, I was, like, is that a generational thing? Like, is it just the, I wanted to kind of point the finger at, like, the older generation and say, like, yeah, they just kind of, like, if it seem, it almost looks like it's printed or whatever, then, like, but then if I actually sit and think critically about it, I'm, like, 
Now, how many people in like my generation or younger generations like will believe the TikTok influencer who's telling you uh, do X, Y, and Z with your money in the stock market or do this crazy diet yep. or how many people come to come to even you or I, Cameron, and said, I saw this like video and like this explanation of like this thing, the end times, the end or, times or the Bible or mm-hmm. uh, or this Hebrew word means this or something <sighs> like that. All the freaking time. All the time. And we're just like, just stop paying attention to those people because like like so many of those things particularly like they're just wrong (laughs) you know and so um and like i don't know there's even like a thing of like you know somebody was talking about like uh this rising trend of people who don't have podcasts but make internet videos to look like they have a podcast because of the authority that seems to come with like placing a nice microphone in front mm-hmm. of you and like having lighting and kind of look, you know, look what we're doing, mm-hmm. right? To kind of convey, oh, they they must be important, you know, because right. we're kind of borrowing. They've got an audience or a platform. Yeah, because we've got like this, like, like you think about this, like where does this image originally go from? Like this is like what – uh, Larry King, the late night mm-hmm. like news host with his like big Walter Conkright. Walter Conkright with these big <laughs> like big microphones right here. Like, uh-huh. you know, we're borrowing imagery and like there's like a a message to it, you know. But so like if I were to get on here, if we were to get on here and maybe tell you like we started giving you stock brokering advice, you should probably turn it off because we have very little <laughs> information to give you in that or we started giving medical advice you should ignore that um there are very few things that i would consider myself an expert on right what we strive to talk about is you know like the bible theology ministry like and Mm -hmm. the application of those things to life right Mm -hmm. so like even now like we're talking about politics i don't think either of us are would purport to be political theory like experts not at all and so that's not what we're going to – that's not what we're talking about. No. Nope. You know, we're not going to be like, oh, well, the history of, like, democracy. Um, like, that's not – we're just kind of, like, thinking, like, where does this intersect with the things that we know and we're yep. good at? And can we provide some context there? Mm-hmm. Um, what but, I, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. You're right. I to Back to that point. Mm-hmm. Like, we see something on the internet – and we just like latch on to it, mm-hmm. not always very discerningly. What is your perspective on the way that Jesus interacted with his political environment? Mm-hmm. You know, he was like, because let, let me qualify that why yeah, I'm yeah, asking yeah. the question. The, the reason I'm asking the question is like, because I'm always. I'm always struggling to know what the correct answer to the question um, of what what should be the Christian's yeah. interaction in the political world yeah. now. Like, what level of advocacy, yeah. what level of support or unsupport, yeah. what level of, like, focus. Mm-hmm. Or like emotional, yeah, intensity should be give to it, mm-hmm. and so my, if you're a Christian, 
and you're not asking the question about all things in life, like, does Jesus have anything to say about this? Mm-hmm. Then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You're doing it wrong. So whether that would be mm-hmm. my marriage or my job or my relationship with whomever or my money or, you know, mm-hmm. like politics. Yeah. What would Jesus have to say? You know, Jesus had very little to say about politics, at least in my evaluation. He had a lot to say about the religious politics. Yes. Most of his interactions were with religious leaders who had a political influence. They were, like, I don't want to devoid and say that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, like, they, that they were not a political entity at all, because that's not entirely true. They had some political power, but he was mostly interacting with them on, like, how their teachings to the people, Mm -hmm. their uh, levying, you know, unreasonable religious burdens and, Mm -hmm. um, and their hypocritical ways of acting. When Jesus interacted with the government, it was typically in a um, kind of a – I don't want to say completely standoffish, but it was just kind it felt of – felt to me to be dismissive. Yeah. It, he just kind of was like – because like people tried to bait him. Like the famous one is like, you know – should you pay taxes? I can't remember exactly how that got like, mm-hmm. but Jesus was just like, you know, look at the coin whose face is on it, right? Caesars give unto Caesar what is Caesars, mm-hmm. right? This very, um, you know, very dismissive way. You think of the the dialogue between him and Pontius Pilate, right? And his uh, his dismissive of like your kingdom is nothing compared to my kingdom. He was like, he, he basically told Pilate, you, you ha- yeah, you have authority, but the only, you only have authority because my father in heaven gives it to you. Mm-hmm. You know, like it doesn't, he was, he recognized its presence in the world, but was dismissive of its influence in the, in the mindset of his kingdom. Yeah. Right or like in relation to his kingdom, mm-hmm. like yeah, okay, yes, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. So essentially, who cares? Yep, who cares? G- give it to Caesar. Who cares? Um, or Pilate, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not really here to answer your questions, you know. Yeah. And, and he, and every time Pilate wanted to turn the conversation political, Jesus turned it back to Pilate's own soul. Yeah. Um, kind of challenging Pilate. Yeah, like, are you the you king? Make, are you, you the make... king of the Jews? Jesus was like, "Who do you say that I am?" Right. What do you think? Um, and <laughs> it makes Pilate in the story very much feel he looks kind of very much just carried along mm-hmm. and very much unwilling to take an be an active agent in anything. Like right. He washes his hands and stuff. Yeah. And I think what when we consider what Jesus' interaction with politics or the political system in his context was, it's, I think it's important to recognize what it was, you know, and like we see, we just talked about some of those things, but also what it could have been mm-hmm. and what he avoided it being. Yes. 
Yeah. Um, Jesus, it's fairly well understood that most of Jesus' followers, even, um, and all of the religious, most of the religious leaders of the day, mm-hmm. had anticipated that the Messiah, Jesus, would, um, or that the Messiah figure in general, that the Messiah would establish a earthly kingdom yep. by defeating the occupying mm-hmm. army who was in the Promised Land, yep. the Roman government at that time, right. and that he would reestablish headship, rulership, kingship over the nation of Israel and its people and defeat once for all the um, political machine that was the Roman Empire. Yeah. You know, like, this is interesting because, like, I've always heard that and, like, and that's always kind of the backdrop when when we talk about, like, Palm Sunday. Mm -hmm. Uh, I learned this detail this year um, that, so... You know, the Maccabean Revolt, Mm -hmm. um, which is a Jewish rebellion that uh, kicked out the Greeks before the Roman Empire came in, Mm -hmm. and they removed the Greeks, and Israel had a small moment of kind of independence. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is before Jesus. Before Jesus, Mm -hmm. before Jesus, before the Roman Empire. They had removed the Greek Empire out of Israel and out of Jerusalem in particular. The... Maccabeans who were like leading the revolt, they actually had a parade into Jerusalem mm-hmm. where palms were laid down mm-hmm. and there was this triumphal entry moment. They came mm-hmm. in and the time when Jesus is coming in, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, as we call it, like that would have, the Maccabean revolt, the Maccabean celebration of the independence of Jerusalem would have still been in the hearts and minds of people. It mm-hmm. would not have been, wasn't like it was just like 10 years ago, but it wasn't ancient history. No. Right. And so that's like, as the backdrop of like people saying, like, is this the next mm-hmm. Maccabean to come and free us from the Roman mm-hmm. government? So for me, that just made the the parallelism even stronger that right. that was a backdrop in people's minds. Well, and the the memory of that for the Romans mm-hmm. even was one of the things that made them a little bit wary, not just of Jesus, but all of all political activists mm-hmm. during the time. That what if the what if this charismatic leader rallied the Jews strong enough that they could essentially overthrow the empire here in Jerusalem. And so they were vicious with political opponents, those types of leaders, um, to stamp them out and to execute them so that that type of uprising didn't happen. Now, Jesus was amassing a serious crowd of people. Yes. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of followers and seemed to be able to teach not just from a political standpoint, but know, knew their scriptures. Yeah. You know, and so was a multifaceted leader. Mm-hmm. And so there was opportunity really at any time for Jesus to become or to insert himself in a very powerful mm-hmm. way into the political atmosphere of the day. And become the king that the Jews at the time wanted him to become. Yep. And he chose not to. Not to. Yeah. All the time. Mm -hmm. 
all the way up into the point where he was finally arrested. Yeah. And one of the disciples physically attacked Peter, physically attacked yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. the high priest's servant, struck him with a sword, cut off his ear, mm-hmm. and Jesus rebuked him by saying, or no, I guess it was he rebuked the, did he rebuke Peter by saying, what do you think? I'm not here to lead a revolt. Or was it the, or was it the actual Pharisees and, or those who came to? I thought he, I always thought he rebuked Peter. I thought he healed the ear and then he rebuked Peter. Peter, right. By saying yeah. like, listen, I'm not. My, my kingdom is not. A- yeah. I'm not here to, I'm not here to um, create a, um, to start a revolt. Yeah. Right. So he he was saying like, "Hey, look, I know you maybe want me to, um, you want me to do this, but he just kind of refused." And like as you're talking, I'm sitting. I'm thinking. I'm like, "Well, yeah." Jesus left anytime he was in an area. Anytime crowds started to get too big, or like. Uh, he he never stayed in any one place very long. Mm-hmm. He would always get like everybody would be like whoa, and then like as soon as everybody was really excited, he would leave. And part of me wonders somebody smarter who's studied this would have to get maybe give me an answer on this. But like I wonder if part of the reason that he was con- consistently leaving was to avoid the appearance of gathering uh, rebellion force or allowing anything to go too far. Well, he, I mean, he could. I think Jesus knew well enough the political environment to know that the larger the crowd get, got, the more mm-hmm. of a danger he was going to be into the Roman government. Yeah, um, and he had more work to do, and so he continued to tell people, "My time has not yet come." Yeah, you know, Which don't is, tell, don't tell anyone what's happening. Yeah, my time has not yet come. He actually said it to the crowd, at least in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter twenty-six, verse fifty-five, um, after he healed the ear and everything like that. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat at the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So he, Jesus had an opportunity to get super, super political at many, Mm -hmm. many different turns and decided not to. Yeah. Decided not to. Right. So I guess my, the follow-up question to that is like, does the example of Jesus apply to the hopeful example for us? Like, are we to follow the example of Jesus in that way? Yep. Or, or is or there is there a different are we are we called to do something different are we called to do something different are we yeah. called to get very directly involved in politics yeah. are we called to well and i think maybe i should qualify that kind of, that question even further because i think that's an actual that's a pretty maybe it's not such an easy question i don't know i was going to say yeah, I don't think that there's really any question that there's an issue with Christians getting involved in politics. No, I don't think so either. Um, I, but is there? Yeah, I, one so, and and yeah. two. Um, 
is okay then to what to what level yeah then and to what level of like um intensity are we to you know platform for our mm-hmm. political cause vis-a-vis yeah. our understanding of the kingdom that we belong to mm-hmm. is not of this world right that we are not citizens of this world we are citizens of heaven right. you know by faith in Christ and so yeah so let me let me posit so let me answer your question by positing by sharing something i i this is out of some like a book i read and some reading i did quite a while ago and i gave this i gave this general premise as like a sermon mm-hmm. um i got some flack for this sermon when I gave it. Um, and I even got some flack for it because it stayed up online when I was doing some job hunting. So some people went back and saw this sermon and they didn't particularly like it. Um, so, and I don't know, I'm not going to defend it. I've never gone back to rewatch it. And I'm not going to say that this was like my best sermon I've ever given or something like that. I gave it somewhat. Uh, I was kind of stepping out into a place that I was a little bit unsure of. So let me share the theological framework that, I think is a fairly compelling argument, and I'd be interested to hear what you think about it. Okay. So the argument goes this way, is that um, in America, a lot of particularly evangelical Protestant Christians have classically understood themselves through the framework in the political sphere, in the world sphere, of understanding themselves as a new Israel. You can go back and you can look at like the pilgrims crossing over um, and the Mayflower Compact, and there's a sermon that was given on the Mayflower um, that was, I can't remember, like Light on the Hill or something. It was a very famous sermon. You can go read it online. The manuscripts are there. And in that sermon, the preacher is making this very clear, like, identification of themselves to the Israels coming into the promised land. And so there is this idea of becoming like a, the church and Christians are meant to be coming and kind of establishing a kingdom of God of sorts, like trying to create a Christian nation um, and understanding themselves as kind of like coming into a land and restoring it to like to be underneath God. So that's one way of understanding kind of Protestantism in America and how Protestantism has conceived of itself as saying like this is kind of the framework that we want, work under. Now, if we decide to grant that that narrative's true, I think that the more biblical narrative that we see throughout the New Testament, not just in Jesus but in Paul's discussions in Romans, when he talks about the government, uh, very particularly highlighted in uh, first, P- first, first Peter, it's first or second Peter, where Jesus, or where Peter goes through the household, and he talks about that, and um, and even uh, in the book of Hebrews, like throughout the New Testament, is not the understanding of the church as. Um, Israel coming into a promised land, establishing a new, better, like, Christian kingdom under God. It's the understanding of Daniel 
the understanding of being exiles in a land who are called to be holy, set apart, um, exist under the authoritative and ruling structures of the land, seek the good of the city, right? That whole, like, if you do the research of, like, what is it, you know, study of a city throughout the Bible, right? Seeking the good of a city. So it's not that uh, Christians are meant to be kind of these exiles and not involved in the political sphere at all, but the framing is different. Am I here to establish and rule a new Christian kingdom that with Jesus as kind of my backing flag? Or am I here to seek what would be the best for the kingdom that I live in Mm -hmm. and also advocate for, you know, some Christian values along with it? Um, But coming from a different place or a different mindset of conceiving of ourselves as like exiles who live in a foreign land until Christ comes back. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, that was a very, you know, the truncated version of what I seem to think makes some sense to me. I'm curious, what do you think about that? Um, well, there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would say first, to go back to your very first point, that the, that the, narrative or the presumption that the church is now the new Israel Mm -hmm. is not an idea that I support um, or think is particularly, um, well, I guess I should say this. It depends upon the way that the person uses the term new Israel. Mm. If they use the term new Israel to talk about the nation of Israel, Mm -hmm. as in like the actual Jew, Jewish people. Like Israel. Israel. The country. As, the country right. as it exists now. Or even the, like, the people of the covenant. Mm-hmm. Then I would say, no, the church is not the new Israel because Israel is Israel. The people of the covenant are the people of the covenant. Mm-hmm. And the way in which I understand Jesus' teaching on it as well as the Apostle Paul, is not that the the church now supplants the people of the covenant or the nation of Israel, right? But that we we are the through faith in Jesus we are grafted into we are a branch that's grafted into right. what God has already mm-hmm. established. So we don't we don't become what they weren't. Yeah we join in who they are. Yeah. And so um, I think that maybe it's, I, I, I do think it's an important, I think it's an important distinction. Yeah. Um, I would, I think I would agree um with what you had said about Christians living as strangers and exiles. That's first Peter. Mm-hmm. Strangers and exiles in um a world that does not know it, you know. Mm-hmm. Being like knowing that our inheritance is not of this world. 
that our inheritances of another kingdom and another world and that the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that working for the good of this, I think where I begin to have some questions is what, what, a, what does working towards the good of the city look like? Yes. Especially in terms of when it comes into like a political discussion, because yeah. like, okay, if we were, if we were to say, all right, just working towards the good of the city, does that does that necessarily mean that we advocate for Christian value within the political realm? Yeah. And that's where I get where it gets it can get a little foggy. We're finding defining where that line is even for myself. Right. It's like hard to find. Yeah, I think it is hard because it um on the surface, I think it's reasonable to say, well, why wouldn't we advocate for Christian value in the political realm? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I get that. Um, on the other hand, you see this trajectory in scripture of like the world will be ever and increasingly wicked. Yep. Um, debased mm-hmm. and running at breakneck speed away from God and the things of God. Yeah. That is the trajectory until Jesus returns. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. You know. And that's like that that is as firmly established as a promise in scripture as you find things. Mm-hmm. Firmly established as a promise in scripture. This yeah. is the way the world is going to go mm-hmm. until Jesus returns. And so my question there there is is like to what extent to what extent then do we fight that? Do I not necessarily even do I fight it? But like do I fight it in a unbel- do I fight it to an unbelieving world. Would I do I fight for Christian values, Christian moral, Christian ethic in the life of those who express faith in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's why we're pastors. That's why we're pastors, right. right? But like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. Mm-hmm. Like why would we why are we wasting our breath? To a world that believes that the wisdom of the Lord is foolishness, yeah. right? That the that the reason that we the re the reason that we can work for the like that we can like try to press in Christian values into individuals' lives or into Christian community life is because we've those people or those communities have already established that we live under a different kingdom, Mm -hmm. that we have a different king, that we have a different Lord. We're not living according to the law of the world. Mm -hmm. We're living according to the law of the Lord in our kingdom. And so, so yes, like Christian values, yes, place them firmly in the lap of those who have expressed faith in Jesus Christ. But what do, what, 
what does the person gain who has who has no who has not who has no will to surrender to themselves to Jesus mm-hmm. but whom is being forced yeah to abide by christian morality simply because we think it's the best way to live. Is it? Yes. But has their heart been changed and transformed and surrendered to Jesus as their Lord? No. So does it make a bit of difference if they go through the motions, but they're not transformed? Absolutely not. Yeah. I I think like a, like a, like a perfect, like let's, a perfect, um, hypothetical example and maybe not hypothetical because, I know people out there like the put put prayer back in schools, right? Okay, let's just like it's all we need to do. It's all we need to do. Just put prayer back in schools, like and and there's debate over how widely practiced like morning prayer was at any given point in public school in the last hundred years. Like I, I like it. I don't know. The history behind all of that is super foggy to me. How much of that is just kind of like the good old days yep. made into imaginary yep. uh, world is yep. is not clear to me. But this idea of like, okay, well, everybody like, okay, just like everybody got to stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance and then, and then pray, right? And someone praying over the intercom or whatever. And if we were in a different country and there was a different kind of more uh, a different uh, popular religion that was bigger than Christianity. Say we were in the Middle East and Islam Mm -hmm. and morning prayer or actually like the daily prayers were mandated to all students. Would we be okay with that? No, no, we wouldn't be okay with that. But is it my, is it, is it, is it even Christian to go about and to mandate religious practice or religious observance or respect of my religious observance on people like from a legislative systematic, like that. No, because I don't want their practice. What I want is their heart to be transformed by Christ. Right. So I don't care if they go through the motions. Yeah. So so I'm not going to make a big deal about whether they do or don't. Right. In the political realm. Mm-hmm. So that seems to be like a, like, because when, when you say Christian values, well, prayer is a Christian value. Right. Right. Like, but we can't go around and legislate prayer. Like that would, that would be violating the religious freedom or like the freedom principle and freedom of speech and all that stuff that we rely upon to practice our religion. And, to continue to pray in school. Yeah. Because you, because <laughs> you can, you can. Like prayer <laughs> has not been removed right. from school. We're 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 not like France. I don't know if anybody's paying attention to what's going on in France right now. Um, I think mm-hmm. they just passed a. France has is a pretty, very very strong interpretation of separation of church and state. So much so that they've banned religious symbols from public buildings and particularly schools. So, mm-hmm. you, whether you're and they have a they have a significant Muslim population. Mm-hmm. Um, so like hijabs. Head coverings have been banned for quite a while. Crosses, you know, if you were to wear a cross in the tr- in the school, that would not be allowed. Um, and I think they just like created or added an extra level of clarity, like the the longer 
I, I don't know the proper word, I'm not me- intending to be offensive, but the longer like shirt skirt things that like uh, Muslim men will sometimes mm-hmm. wear, those are no longer allowed. That mm-hmm. just got like passed like a couple days ago, I think, um, in in schools or public buildings because it's interpreted as a sign of religious something. And if you are it, not just a leader, anybody, like if you're just going to school or uh, you're just not allowed to have that. And so, you know, like that's a very different world from the one that we inhabit here in the States. And like, I don't think we want the other one, right? We we're, like where no. a non-religion or an opposing or different religion is imposed. And so are we violating the golden rule by imposing Christian values on other people, even though they're, we might believe and we do believe that they are the right values. Mm-hmm. Are we loving our neighbors? Well, if we're forcing them to do what we think they ought to do. Or it's a modern day crusades. Yeah. You will all convert. Right. Or we will kill you. Yeah. Right. Where do you, but where does that line, this is a heavy question, but where does that line stop? Mm-hmm. So, Let's mm-hmm. like it's a, good, it's a cause it's a good question. Right. So like we 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 can very easily put it over there and okay, okay, we can't mandate religious practice. Where does it stop? Like we might like you might get, be getting close to the line when it comes to like for I I will say for me it stops when it when um in advocating for the protection of the image of God and others. Mm. That's a really, really good way to say that. Yeah. So for me, it would be like the the dignity and the sacredness of human life mm-hmm. and the image of God in others. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, you don't like I have I have really, really, really strong opinions on abortion. Yeah. Pro choice, pro life. Yep. And um, I think that it is. I think it is not only, um, not only, I, I think it is a, I will say somewhat of a duty of Christians to advocate for the mm-hmm. life of the unborn. Yeah. Um, because I believe that, that each of those children, even at the most simple stages of their development, mm-hmm. hold the image of God. Yeah. Um, and so I think that the, I think that Christians should advocate for and work to protect and make sacred the image of God. Now for, for like posterity's sake, I have virtually the same opinion with the um with the conversation of abortion as I do on capital punishment. Mm-hmm. I have the same position. Like I don't I am not a proponent of capital punishment. Right. The uh, like percent the percentage of people that we believe are potentially wrongfully executed. Right. Like are we okay with there being any percentage of error? Even in even, that. But even outside of that, like even, that's a that's right. a not even the position you're holding. You're right. talking about like it's just not Period. okay to be killing the image Period. of God. Yeah. Period. Yeah. End of sentence. <laughs> like whether you are guilty or whether you might be guilty, 
DNA evidence, right? You know, exonerates you thirty years down the line. Like, no, it's for for me, it's like, okay, image of God should be advocated for, protected. I think it's a justice issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's an issue of like, is this just? Mm-hmm. Can a human being take another human being's life and have that be a just um have that be something that's completely okay. and fully just yeah god is god is completely and fully just mm-hmm. right um there's no injustice in anything that he does yeah Right, and so some will say, "Well, you know, God ordered the full-scale genocide of whole people groups in Scripture. God is fully just." Right. You know right. that wasn't that wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a matter of injustice. Like mm-hmm. God is the definition of what just is. You know, if Joshua was like, "We're going to go kill all those people because we want to," but God hadn't. But God hadn't been like this. This is what must happen, right? Mm-hmm. Different story, right? So God is fully just. Um, so yeah, I I think that to go back to the original question, and I could go. We could go a lot further down that rabbit trail for yeah. sure, <laughs> um, because it does break. I, I understand that my my it it breaks down. Sure, it breaks down. Like so, people have asked me before, like. Okay, so what you're telling me is that if someone were to break in your house in the middle of the night, threaten to take the life or a, you know of your wife or your children that you wouldn't do anything and everything that you could including up to killing that person in order to protect your family. Right. And I'm here to say don't break in my house. That's all I'll say. Cameron means that, people. Don't break in my house. <laughs> right. You will be a fatal error in the victim selection process. <laughs> Don't break in my house. However, you know, so I understand that it, right. it breaks down quickly. But those are, but those are like, to just give you, like, that is comparing apples and oranges. It is. A little bit. It is. Like, somebody who is very much detained. <laughs> right. Like, and, like, if... It, is no is not a is is not presenting immediate threat and danger to other than like that, that those are two very different scenarios or who are who is completely innocent in their mother's womb yeah right um so yeah that would be that would be my that would be my watermark is mm-hmm. like okay when do we get involved yeah when when the things that are happening politically bring destruction to the image of god yeah so these are even even some political things around like the way that the poor are treated Mm -hmm. now yes or um or like i've got some pretty strong feelings about the way in which municipalities deal with and approach homelessness Mm -hmm. um addiction mental Mm -hmm. health yeah Mm -hmm. things like that because I think that you, we begin to we we begin to play political games with people, like the dignity of people's life, mm-hmm. and um, so would be advocating. I'd be advocating yeah. for that as well. So I think I think there's an interesting 
in, I don't know. Maybe we'd have to think about this, but I think it's also interesting that like there is very clear um, joint agreement in like our political system and society um, around the value of life from which you can begin to operate. So like generally, like you'd say most laws are, you know, like are there to preserve and protect human dignity and, mm-hmm. and people's rights, freedom and life, mm-hmm. right? Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness and all that. Like, so there's at least a, and what, you know, society's debating where that stops and starts and how that happens, but there's at least a starting place. There's a starting point mm-hmm. versus like trying to advocate for prayer. There's nothing, there's no built in value necessarily around mm-hmm maybe like some sort of universal understanding of prayer or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a, a secondary yeah, or criteria. Like, like if you go and if you go back to the prayer example, you'd be like, okay, so now are we going to mandate who they pray to? Right. The theology of their prayer? Mm-hmm. You know, can they, can they pray to the spaghetti monster in the sky? And as long as they're praying, it's fine. Or can they pray to Satan? Spaghetti and that's fine. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to let you go any farther than the spaghetti monster. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. not, it's just not that simple yeah. or, you know, so. Tune in next week as we dive into Cameron's, ch- Cameron's childhood nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> spaghetti monster in the sky. You never heard that phrase? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, what would you say, do you have a, like, okay, here is where Christians should get involved politically? I mean, honestly, I want to just steal your answer because it was really good. Mm. Um, I think, like, you put it really well. I've always kind of had to kind of, um, I guess I've always never had a good operating singular principle. Mm -hmm. It's been more of a uh, case-by-case kind of thing of just, like, that seems to go against a universal moral code. Mm Mm-hmm. That seems to go against something not that is that we should uphold outside of religious practice, right? And that caring mm-hmm. for people's lives, for mm-hmm. their existence, um, would be one of those. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I'm a little bit more, um, I think even before, um, before gay marriage was widely legalized, I was very, I was kind of like, when that discussion was happening, I was just like, I don't know that we, should be holding this back as like a, like that was kind of a question that was in my head at Mm. the time when gay marriage was illegal. I was just like, I don't know that this is because we're trying to advocate a Christian sexual ethic Mm -hmm. to people who are not Christian. Mm -hmm. And if you are atheist, this does not make any sense. Mm -hmm. Like what is, why does this cause any, Mm -hmm. any significant harm or something Mm -hmm. like that? Now, and then, but then if we're be- going to begin to talk about maybe, uh, like, transgenderism and the effect that's having on children, like, that becomes a little bit more, uh, to me, I'm like, well, that's, that's not adults making adult decisions. We're now, the way that our society is moving, we're influencing children to make what I deem to be, again something that is marring the image of God, harmful to themselves long-term, mm-hmm. very just detrimental mental health and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, 
So that's how I've always kind of got, done it is try to see like where is yeah. where where is the universal kind of morality line versus um, religious practice versus protecting and safeguarding. That's how I've yeah. kind of always done it. Yeah. Well, you're welcome to steal my answer for the future. I mean, I might because yeah. I, I think it works. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. That's, man, we just scratched the surface of it. Yeah, I think it's probably, this is due a part two. Yeah. So I'll wear the same shirt next week. Yeah, me you too. wear the same yeah. shirt. I mean, I always wear a dark shirt anyway. Yeah, so. we can come back and talk about, I, it's funny, scrolling back down to the thumbnails in the YouTube just to see like the title slide. It's like, I wear like three shirts. At least not days that we record. I got like three shirts I wear. I have more than three shirts. Um but uh, anyway, yeah, we'll we'll come back to this conversation because there's, I think, several several trails that we can take. We didn't even really get into what is considered or what we would call at least Christian nationalism. No, well, we touched on it, like, which, which is I think probably one of the most significant mm-hmm. um, ills. Yeah. facing the church. Well, today. and and the the place I initially thought we were I thought we, this conversation was going to go was like deconstruction mm-hmm. and and nationalism and politics and how mm-hmm. like politics, nationalism has played a significant role in people wanting to deconstruct or initiating people's deconstruction, mm-hmm. which like I think is a whole it's part of the conversation. Part of the conversation. Yeah. But and even like, you know, that's kind of the you know, undercurrent of some of the stuff we talked about, you know, mm-hmm. um, maybe we'll show, you remember that video of that preacher that gave that about the spy balloons? No, oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> maybe we'll pull that video out. <laughs> he was a person who thought that America was the new Israel and he thought, therefore God had blessed our military. And so we should just go and attack China. Um, mm. He gave a whole, not an intro to a sermon, not like a beginning remark, like a whole sermon. On the Chinese spy balloon. Well, yeah. And justify calling it a sermon is probably not even fair because no. it had no scripture. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just I, a, Every day I ask Jesus to make me a man of peace, but I want to punch that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he deserves it. <laughs> he deserves it. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. Yep. Um, If you have questions about politics and stuff like that, send us in those questions. Politics and the integration of Christian faith and culture, for sure. Yeah. Not just politics. Yeah. Don't ask us about uh, economic theory. Yeah. Don't don't ask me my economic policy because I don't have one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, But yeah, text us in some questions. 716-201-0507. I would love... To receive a question from someone that we don't know. Yes. You can introduce yourself or not. Yes, that would be great. I, it's not that I don't want questions from people we do know, but it would be really fun to see the cross-section of people that are listening. Uh, so send us a question or a comment, and we would uh, love to have received it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, and we'll catch you next time.